All right, here we go. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I am the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, and we found her. <laughs> we found Michaeline Duclef. Yay! Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I have to tell you that you have been our most requested guest and consistently for a very long time. Wow. And so I'm so thrilled that you're here. And I already had had your book when people were, were requesting, but I hadn't read it yet. And then I read it and I understood. Oh. I understood why so many requests came. Your book is Hunt, Gather, Parent, What Ancient Cultures Can Teach Us About the Lost Art of Raising Happy, Helpful Little Humans. I basically underlined the entire book. <laughs> it was absolutely phenomenal, both in the writing style, it was super interesting, but also the information, gobs of information. I wish I would have read it when my kids were younger. I'm adding it to my baby shower list of books to give. So fantastic book, Michaeline, and so excited to talk to you about it. Can you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what you're doing now, now that the book is out? Yeah. So I am trained as a chemist. I spent almost 10 years as a chemist, and then I left science, so to speak, and became a, a science journalist at NPR. And I have been there 11 years. I covered mostly at NPR viruses, even before COVID. I covered outbreaks around the world. I covered the Ebola outbreak in West Africa. Then I became a mom in 2015 and like everything changed, right? It was like all of a sudden I kind of started caring less about this crazy, strange virus I was supposed to be reporting on. And I started caring more about what are the parents doing around the world? NPR would send me to places to cover an outbreak or a new virus. And I started like paying attention to the parents. And in 2017, 18, I was sent down to a little tiny village in the Yucatan in Mexico, to a Maya village. And the parents there really just changed my whole perspective and view on what parenting could be, like how easy it could be and how effective it could be. And that led to writing this book. I started to realize that this approach that the mothers there taught me and showed me was pretty common, actually really common around the world. And that we here in the United States are kind of the outliers and the weird parents. And so I wanted to learn this parenting approach. And so I took my little girl, Rosie, when she was three, to three different places around the world and parents in these little tiny communities showed me and taught me this other way of interacting with children that I'm not exaggerating, transformed mm-hmm. our lives as family. And I often say, you know, I wrote a parenting book, but like, I also like fixed my marriage, like it transformed my relationship with my husband as well. So it's, the book is really about interacting with people in a way that's productive and cooperative instead of generating conflict and stress. Wow. It's a phenomenal book. And what a neat thing, like you had already had those inner workings going on because you're traveling to different places and seeing how different people live. And I thought it was really interesting. You talk in this book about just not knowing what to do. Yeah. And you talk about your own childhood that you had a, you write viciously angry home. In fact, I loved this part, Michaeline. When I first got to college, I remember being stunned by the silence in the dorm room at night. Where was all the yelling and screaming? Why was everyone so quiet? So you come from this angry home. And I think what we're sort of told as parents is that we have an intuition. Mm. We have it in us. We're going to know what to do. You get your baby at the hospital and you come home 
but you don't really know what to do. And because we're living in these nuclear families, we don't have parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, we're sort of on an island. Yeah. And we think we know what to do, which is kind of dangerous, but then we don't really. Yeah. And so you went to these other places and found, I think, things that they're mind boggling. No one is yelling. Yeah. No one is upset. Kids are helpful without being asked, like, what is going on here? So I think one of the things, if we could start off with the anger piece, because, well, we're recording this smack dab in the middle of summer. So I think a lot of parents are struggling, (laughs) probably a little bit struggling with their parenting, and we're heading right into the school year. So we have a lot sometimes of those homework battles and morning battles and all of those types of things. And you talk about how in some of these other cultures, they never yell at a child. Can you just start off by telling us why? Oh my gosh. This is something that is very striking, especially in the Arctic with the Inuit communities. Yelling is seen, and it's not just they don't yell at children. I mean, I've never seen an adult yell. Mm. And I've been there now four times. And yelling is seen as childish, immature. And so an adult would never do that because you would just be lowering yourself to the level of a toddler. Mm. You know, kids there, like even after age seven, eight, maybe seven, eight, nine, don't yell. You know, it's very rare. It's really yelling and expressing anger towards another person is just seen as kind of one of the like the last resorts that you would ever do. And especially towards children, parents will tell me like, if you yell at them, they're just going to learn to yell, mm. right? That they're going to learn like, this is how we interact with people. Okay. When we're upset, when something's wrong, when there's a problem, we yell. And then the other aspect of it is like, they don't think it is productive at all mm. because they see children, especially little children. So we often view little children. This was the big mind shift for me. And it took a while, but it was so huge. We often see little children as like intentionally trying to kind of manipulate us and hurt us. Like we'll say things like Mm -hmm. they push our buttons, they push boundaries. And they're like, there's like this intentionality to it that we give them and kind of nefarious motivations. Like they want to control us and they want to upset us. And even my sister would say things to me when Rosie was a baby, like she's already controlling you, you know, this little tiny baby. Mm. And the truth is, is there's no evidence that this is true at all. Mm. There's no study that says that a two-year-old wants to make you angry, Mm. none. And in fact, a lot of the evidence shows the opposite, that that two-year-old wants to help you. And that Mm. two-year-old wants to love you. You should know you are everything to a young child, parents. And so putting this kind of antisocial nefarious motivations on a child only makes us angry at them, Mm. right? And only makes us yell at them. And an Inuit parent would often say like, they don't understand. They don't have understanding. They don't have logic. They don't know how to deal with the little children. They're irrational. They don't know how to deal with the situation. So yelling at them is going to be just completely unproductive and not get the job done, not teach the child how to behave, teach the child how to regulate their emotions it's going to do the opposite. It's going to teach the child to yell. So it's kind of seen as really stupid, like yelling. Like, look at that. Like, even there's some, if you look in the anthropological literature, you can see examples where people will say when somebody, somebody doesn't even yell, but just kind of releases a little bit of anger. Oh, look how childish she is. Oh, he can't control his emotions. It's really devalued is how a lot of psychologists would say in the culture. And what that does is that creates this wonderful environment for children, right? Where they can express their emotions. They can get upset. They can make mistakes and they don't feel 
like they're going to anger the adult. Mm-hmm. But what it did for me was shifting my perspective from Rosie's pushing my buttons, mm-hmm. Rosie's manipulating me. Those thoughts make me angry at her, make me have anger in her, you know, like, how dare you, you know? Right. But if I, once I started switching to, she doesn't understand, mm-hmm. she's trying her best to handle this situation and she doesn't know the right way to behave. It allowed me to have empathy towards her mm-hmm. and switch those moments of like real intensity of like, I could get really mad, like are hitting me, right. Or throwing something mm-hmm. across the room to like help me become calm. And as one mom said in the Arctic, be the rock in their storm, mm-hmm. right. And that This yeah. rock that they can come to. And I remember the first time she did something, she hit me, I think. And I, I just said to my husband, like, she doesn't have understanding. She's trying. She doesn't know. And her face totally changed. She was expecting me to yell and get upset. And she just, she softened and she calmed down. And it was incredible how fast once I made that switch, she started calming herself down and not having tantrums. It's really neat to see that you specifically said in the book, how is this? This is not going to work. Right. You didn't think it was going to work. No. And then it works. This whole part caused me to reflect because you wrote things like adults considered even small expressions of irritation or grumpiness too minor for Westerners to even notice as signs of immaturity. Yeah. So it really does make you pause and think, wait a minute, am I being super immature? Mm. It helps you to reframe. And I think it's very important. This says it doesn't help to raise your voice or get angry. It will just make your own heart rate mm. go up your own. Heart, mm. And that's true. And I think that they then get mad at you yes. instead of figuring out the things that they're supposed to figure out. Yes. So just really incredible information in here about yelling and how to deal with it. So then I think that is the question then is how do we deal with it? And you talk about the power of calmness, yeah. about how that can transfer from one to the other. So talk to us about how you've learned to remain calm in, I mean, because these situations are hard. Toddlers do have tantrums. Yes. Sometimes they're in places that we prefer that they're not having a tantrum, but you have learned and you say it took a while. And I think that's good to know, but you have learned some steps to staying calm. So I think a big part of it is what about what I just discussed. One thing is that once you're already angry, you already have anger in your body. It is really hard to suppress it. There's this myth, I think, in our culture that like, I mean, we tell even like two-year-olds, stop being angry, mm-hmm. you know, like just be quiet, calm down. I love it. Well, I don't love it, but it's very ironic when you hear parents <laughs> yelling at the child to be quiet and calm down when the, you know, like, it's like, how are you expecting this to happen? You know, children's emotions are com- completely dependent on ours. They, especially little children, they pick up on what we, how we feel and they become them. Right. So Mm -hmm. if you want your child to be calm, you talk very softly, you bring your, your energy down. And I am telling you instantaneously, your child will start to calm down. Wow. If you be quiet, if your energy inside your body is calmer, your child will come there. If you're yelling and you're like up here and you're like at this energy, your child will come there, right? Mm-hmm. So one thing is learning to not have so much anger in the first place. That's the thing I think a lot of people don't realize is the parents in the book, it's not like they they get really angry and they suppress it and they stop it. Mm-hmm. They don't have so much anger towards the child to begin with mm-hmm. because of this view of the child as this little irrational 
creature who just doesn't understand, mm-hmm. right? And is ira- you know, is illogical and just they have enormous amounts of empathy and love for the child to begin with. Mm-hmm. That again, we kind of tend not to have because we have these ideas of like manipulation and pushing buttons and Parents will read my book and they will come and they will tell me like, I don't believe this. I believe my child is pushing my buttons and like maybe other children, but my child is manipulating me. And and I feel really bad because they're talking about like two or three-year-olds, yeah, right? Who can seem very vicious. Don't get me wrong. But they grow out of it. They grow out of it. Yes. And I, I think that's the perspective. And when I talk to other parents and they're really struggling and we had one that I mean, he screamed all the time, like his entire two year, year two, just screamed. And then all of a sudden it stopped. And so Mm. it wasn't because he was vicious or naughty. It's probably because he was tired. He had two older siblings and he was little. And if they just, if one day it's here and the next day it stops, obviously there's no ulterior thing going on. It's just a stage or a phase or they're working through the things that they need to work through. And so I love this idea about don't come to it with a high energy. There was actually a phrase that said the higher the energy of the child, the lower the energy that you need to have. This is a phenomenal book. It's a life-changing book. I so wish I could go back in time and have read it when I had little ones just as even as if you're parenting that way, as some people are parenting, they're going to be listening and maybe their bent is to parent that way, to be calm. Yeah. And I think what's interesting, Michaelina, is that in these other cultures, they are promoting this calm and, and sort of shunning the anger. But I think in our culture, people are constantly questioning you, like, yeah. why aren't you the boss? And yeah. why don't you have better control over your kid? Right. And that type of thing. And so I think it takes a lot to hold that line. And so there is just a lot of very specific advice. Close your mouth. Oh, yes. Close your mouth is a good one. Words are stimulating. Yes. And so, I mean, I've done that. You immediately switch to lecture mode and it's not the right time or place, or maybe it's not even necessary at all. So not only do you talk about the baseline things of not getting so angry in the first place with your child, with your coworker, with your spouse, with your friends. But also, if you do, then how do you deal with it? Close your mouth, walk away. And then you say that a lot of times that some of these cultures, they don't deal with behavior problems immediately. They give it some space. Oh, for sure. This is key. This is really key because there's this idea that like, especially if you're upset, right? Right. Whatever you're going to say is going to come out in this, for me, it just comes out in this way that generates more conflict right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this is like the parents will tell me and psych- Western psychologists told me this too, like a child can't learn when they're upset, right? Like they're, you can give them all the lectures you want, but they can't learn. So you wait until they calm down and there's a calm moment. And then you can do a bunch of things to teach them the lesson. And the lesson will be, it's stronger, mm-hmm. you know, in the moment where it's like, you want to yell. Yes. Closing your mouth. And I, I think another key part of it is telling yourself it is going to not do any good to yell. It is not, it's going to be unproductive. Like that's that devaluing of it, which helps. Mm -hmm. So a new part of neuroscience is this idea that like what emotion you choose, your brain kind of chooses the emotion to have in the moment. These aren't like default, you know, something happens and you Mm -hmm. don't have to get angry. Like this is kind of an old school way of thinking of emotions that our brain actually selects them. And it selects them based off of 
mostly what you've been modeled. So what your parents and society models for you, but also what you've chosen in the past. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I talk about in the book and one of the things that really helped me was to practice calm emotions each day with Rosie. So we would practice wonder and awe. We, you know, we'd be outside and you don't have to do it for very long. It's like 30 seconds, a minute a day. And, you know, we'd be outside and we'd see like a butterfly and we'd just sit. I'd say, oh, Rosie, come look at this butterfly. Look how beautiful its wings are. Or last night we all went out and looked at the moon. I don't know if you noticed, but the Venus and the moon are very close. It's this beautiful mm. crescent moon. And we, oh my gosh, the moon's so beautiful. And what this does, it sounds really hokey, but it totally works. I've been doing it now since six years, is it teaches your brain to have a calmer emotion. So if you get in that state where you're like, I want to yell, I want to yell. I'm so angry. I think of the moon or I go outside. I look at the butterfly. I can replace that unproductive emotion of anger with something that's going to calm me down and calm her down. And I'm telling you, it works. It it comes from Mm -hmm. this neuroscientist at Northwestern University, Lisa Feldman Barrett, but I saw it parents do this everywhere I go. So the little Caleb, the little Mm -hmm. 18 month old in the book, he was always screaming and like scratching his mom and pulling the dogs. I mean, he was just a little, you know, you know, right. And (laughs) the grandma would just take him to the window. Look at the beautiful ocean, you know, or when Rosie would have a tantrum, Elizabeth in the book would the sky was was summer in the Arctic. So the sun was always rising and setting. It was very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth in the book would point to these, look at the beautiful sunset, the colors, you see the colors. And it would be this very calm, you know, and what it's doing is it's teaching the child's nervous system and her brain to find a calmer emotion and find another way of calming yourself down. We're not running away from the problems. We're going to deal with them mm-hmm. in a moment, you know. We're going to teach the child, the child, but we're teaching them that first calm down. Right. These motions are like muscles in your brain. If you use them, they're going to get stronger. So every time you use your anger emotion, your brain wants to choose it again. Mm. Um, And so it takes time. It takes time to like teach your brain like another emotion. And I have to say, I'm not perfect, but I mean, it's like night and day. You know, it used to be like anger every, every day. Right. So. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember to sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com/outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. 
I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. And that's hopeful, Michaelene, that people can make a change yes. and they can make a sustained change. That's not necessarily perfect, but to have gone from, what was the wording you use? A viciously angry home. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely, when you read that, I got chills on my arms because oh, I forget, I forget what's in the book sometimes, the words. And, and, yeah. um, and it was, uh, my childhood was, was horrible. It, um, and, you know, and all these changes that I make in the book, I was 40, you know, I'm, and people often say to me, well, it's not going to, this isn't going to work because my kids are 11 or my kids are older. And I say like, oh. this changed me at 40. Yeah. Of course, an 11 year old can change. You know, that's mm-hmm. another Western myth that like we have these windows of opportunities to teach kids things. And then they kind of close and like, mm. no, the windows of learning never close. Mm. What a great message. The book just wraps you in understanding. I think you do such a good job of saying, this is why you're here and you didn't maybe have things modeled to you. And now this is what you can do. And because you tell it through story and experience, it really helps you to remember it. Mm. So you, like you say, and I think, you know, I'm going to put some of these things on note cards. Like you say, if you say, stop it, you're giving it attention. Yeah. Just, you know, don't give the things attention. Yeah. Don't react. Don't react. It's immature. Yeah. What a message. And so if parents are struggling with anger and yelling and they want to change, that's what you say in the book. No one wants to parent that way. And they don't, but they just don't have the tools and the resources to figure out how not to. And you give a couple other ideas just that are fun. Like if you can reframe it, you talk about the stories. Oh, you know the spiders in the sweater i mean just could you give us an example of like the monster in the refrigerator i mean yes. they're cute and they're funny and they're fun oh my gosh so rosie now is almost eight and we've kind of stopped telling the stories because she kind of knows they're not real but she yeah. still wants like we started again a couple of weeks ago and she like a couple of nights ago i told her when she knows they're not real but she still loves them they still work mm-hmm. on her. It's incredible. So like this comes from the families in the Arctic, but storytelling is universal around the world right. for teaching children. Like I'm Irish and like the Irish have almost many of the same stories as the Inuit. And so 
what this does is little kids can't learn through logic and like reason. Their brains are made to learn through stories. Hmm. And so I was always trying to reason with Rosie. So I was afraid to do this because I didn't want to scare her when I first heard about these stories. Cause some of, some of them are like in the Arctic, like if you don't wear your hat when you go out, you know, your kids ears will freeze. It's, it's serious business. It's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. They'll be injured. And so the parents tell them, if you don't wear your hat, the Northern lights, the lights up there will come and chop your head off and use it as like a soccer ball. I mean, these are like very strong stories. And I was really afraid to use them at first, but ironically, you know, not afraid to sit there in front of a Disney movie. But then one day after we got back, I think she was three and she had the refrigerator doors like wide open and was just standing there. And I was like, Rosie, close the refrigerator door. Like, Mm -hmm. You're wasting electricity. You're doing all these things that like... Yeah, all the logic. (laughs) Yes. They're like, she had no clue what I was saying, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and then I finally said to her, I was like, okay, I'm just going to try it. And I said, Rosie, you got to close the refrigerator because the refrigerator monster's in there. And if if he warms up, he's going to come out and get you. They're all done a little bit with like a wink in the eye. A little, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like you're not trying to make them cry and make them, you know, you, right? Just ingest, yeah, yeah, and to make them think a little bit. And like mm-hmm. one of the moms said, to take it seriously, like this is something serious. And um, yeah, she slammed the door closed and then looked over at me and said, "Mama, tell me more about that monster." And there was, <laughs> she loved it. It worked immediately. Immediately. And instead of us, me screaming at her, close the door, you're not listening. It ended up being like, increase our communication. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. And we have, we had so many monsters and recently the messy monster will come and take all her clothes that are on the floor, you know, and and at night I'll come around, I'll go around and I'll collect them and I'll put them in a bin and she'll wake up and she'll be like, wait, where did they go? And I was like, the messy monster, Sorry. Like, again, she knows that it's like me or like, you know, she, right. but she still is like, you know, and then it works. Yeah. What a reframe. Yeah, exactly. There's so many spiders in the dress. The best ones are the ones that take something in the environment that's real mm-hmm. and kind of twist it around a little bit. There was this guy at a gas station that was missing his thumb, I think. And so one day, and she was very into it. She's like, why is that guy's I'm not there. You know, I don't know what happened to the guy who worked at the gas station. But then I started using that like, well, you know, I forgot what I said exactly, but he did something. And then he lost his thumb. And (laughs) I know, I know. It's kind of silly. The power of stories. Well, I think that you do. This is all in the section. I put it in the section of anger because not only can you stop reacting, you can choose not to react and you can choose to enter in a calm way. You can make it fun. Yes. You can make the shoe come alive and say, your shoe wants to come up. I mean, you can do yes. all these little things. Puppet shows. Yes. You say you can take the child outside. You can put them in your pack and carry them around for 45 minutes. I remember so often when our kids would lose it, you know, they're really upset. You can't calm them down. And then you put them in the pack, even if they're older, yes. even if you think people are going to look at you weird or you happen to maybe be driving somewhere. And they fall asleep immediately. It's because they're yes. tired yes. or they were really hungry. I felt like 99% of the time, it was always that. And you feel like, oh my goodness, there's something wrong with my child. They're going to grow up and be this crazy teenager. And then they fall asleep. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, they were tired. So all of these different actual ideas, giving them jobs, let's switch. Because that wasn't one of the ideas that you said was a child that's misbehaving needs a job. Yes. 
This is true. Give them a task. So this is a huge part of the book is that in other cultures, kids help and they help without being asked. And this is absolutely brilliant. Don't give them a chore chart. Tell us what's going on in these other cultures with the kids that are helping. You know, it's fascinating. This is such a great topic. I think a lot of kids are misbehaving because they feel like they don't have a role. And I mean, if you look at the evolutionary biology literature, the primatology literature, cross-cultural psychology, it is absolutely clear that children are born to help their family. They want to contribute. And this is a huge source of pride and confidence and connection, right? You talk about putting the kid in the pack. A lot of that is just also they need to feel your touch. Mm-hmm. You know, that like mm-hmm. if a child's upset, sometimes I'll just touch her, Rosie's shoulder. So like kids need to connect. And one of the biggest ways they connect with their family is to help them, mm-hmm. right? You know that when you help a friend, when you help a kid, when you help somebody, there's this bond that's created, mm-hmm. but they feel like they have a purpose. They feel like they're important. Again, parents are everything to a child, right? You are giving them their entire life and sustaining them. And think about how wonderful it feels to help somebody who's helping you and give back. And so a lot of kids in Western culture are missing this. And a big reason is we don't let them help when they're very little. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the toddler comes over and you're washing the dishes and they start. Well, there's a study where the toddler comes over when the mom is folding the clothes And the toddler starts throwing the clothes all over the room. And they ask the parents in the study, what do you do? This study came out after the book. So it's not actually in the book. But um, the European-American mom said, well, I got to get this done. I get upset and I tell the toddler, you're making a mess. Go run and play, right? Go play, go play with your toys. Or I give them a screen, go watch this video. Mm -hmm. And then they ask the Maya moms, well, what do you do? And the Maya moms say some things like, well, I get a little bit upset because they're making a mess. But I'm really excited because they're interested in helping. They want to help me fold the clothes. And actually, one of the moms said, this is their way of helping. Mm. Like she views the like balling up the clothes as they're like the little kid trying to fold them, which could be instead of yelling or chewing the child away, the mom starts teaching them how to fold the clothes, Mm. put the clothes in the basket. You know, we put the clothes in the drawer. We don't throw them. They start giving guidance and they start including the child in the task. And what happens is the child's interest in the task and wanting to help and wanting to be part of whatever the family is doing grows over time. If this happens, you know, once a week, a couple times a month even. And by the time the child is six or seven, then it can not only fold the clothes, but they still want to help mm-hmm. because they have been doing this for a long time and they feel included. Right. And they feel like they're mm-hmm. part of the family. And so this is what leads to this, like volunteering helping is this inclusion very early, but also this acknowledgement that the child wants to do it. Yes. And it's not, again, this like nefarious motivation. They just want to make a mess. No, they want to help. They want to help. Oh, I want to go back. But you, but even the biggies, even the biggies, they want to, there's even the the 40 year old man. (laughs) Yes, it's true. But think about your toddlers. They're so eager. And so you have to read the book because it reminds you that this is their time. Let them in. Let them in. And then it gives them, you talk about the family membership card. This is a huge statement, Michaeline. It says, it's a lifelong skill to understand the situation around you and then know what to do. Yes. Wow. This is huge. It's not just about like 
I tell you what to do. It's like the kid like is, is so smart that they're paying attention to the world around them. And then there's, I can do this. I can do this job. I can fix this. This is what you're teaching the child. So it's not just being helpful. It's also taking initiative. Mm-hmm. Yes. And noticing. Right. Which is like a huge thing. Yes. Yes. And noticing, paying attention. These are skills kids need to be a successful adult in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Right. Like what can I do to help? What needs to be helped? But also like getting up and doing it. Yes. You give the verbiage, which I think is such an important thing in a book to know exactly what do I say? What is it okay to say? What are parents saying around the world? They're saying, go fetch me that pail. They're saying, let's all work together. They're saying, hold this while I do that. It just gives you the way to step into it now, which is just little things throughout the day that are allowing the child to see that things need to be done. Yes. And there are small steps to get them done. And here are some of the things that you can say. And then you also talk about how this is an opportunity for bi-directional learning. Mm. I love that phrase. Mm. So you even talk about that in terms of the kebab story with Rosie. Oh my gosh. Can you tell that? Yeah. So I think one of the things we think about in Western culture is the parent is teaching the child at every moment. And I think what you see around the world is the parent is also open to the child teaching them. And that's a big part of like, contributing. It's not the the child bossing the parent around. It's the child having input into a situation and again, being included in the ideas as well as what we're doing. And so one Sunday afternoon, I was making chicken kebabs for people to come over. And I said, you know, after, you know, working on this chapter, I said, Rosie, come over and help me. Come, come over my love. That's a lot. That's a term. Very endearing terms are used around the world, which helps soften your, your emotions towards child come over, my love, come help me with these kebabs. So she comes over and she just starts stuffing chicken onto the kebab, like a whole pound of chicken, like on one kebab. And I'm like, okay, this is, we're not going to have enough chicken for other kebabs. And I was just like, ah, you know, like, and I was like, no, you're not doing it right. And so of course she gets very angry, screams, starts crying and runs away. So I've completely demotivated her in helping. Right. And like, you know, you do this a few times. It doesn't matter. You do this every every day. It starts to wear on the child. Yeah. I wrote their motivation. But I was just like, oh, what am I doing? Like, what have I done? And I was writing this chapter and I was like, you know what? I'm not letting her have input in how it's done. Mm-hmm. Right. I've decided that like it's supposed to be done in a certain way and it's very strict. Right. And this is the only way I think about like loading the dishwasher, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is the only way it can be done because this is the right way. And I was like, maybe I need to loosen that up a little bit and let her contribute to the ideas Mm -hmm. and and listen, maybe she has some good ideas. So I intentionally recreated the situation. And I said, come one Sunday afternoon. I said, Rosie, come over, come my love, come help me with these kebabs. And she didn't want to at first. She was like, "Mm mm-hmm. No. And I, I was like, oh no, come on. You can make whatever kebab you want. And, yeah. And so she comes over and she actually starts making this like pepper and chicken one, like a mix. It was a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And um, I took it and I said, thank you. And I put it on the tray mm-hmm. and she just lit up like, Aww. like I made one. I mom accepted my kebab. Yeah. And then I was stunned. I have to tell you, Jay, I was stunned because she started making Then we started working together and she started making the kebab with all the vegetables and started watching me and we were working together. And all it took for her to 
to listen to me and watch me and, and kind of go with what I was doing was for me to accept a little bit of her, what she was doing. And I have to say that since then, she has taught me so much. Like if I, sometimes she'll come up with these crazy ideas and I'm like, no, why, why, what? And, but I'll just like, that's my knee jerk reaction. No, like, mm-hmm. but I'll just let her do it. Cause it's often not a big deal, you know, right. like, and then it will work and it will work wow. amazing. And she'll solve like a problem that I haven't even been able to solve or something. And, so it's always like, I think, I mean, she's going to hurt herself or waste a ton of resources or something. Then, you know, of course I will say, no, we can't do it that way. Here's why. Mm-hmm. But many times it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the dishwasher looks crazy, you know, mm-hmm. one time or, yeah. you know, they're learning through experience and trying and we want to teach them that, you know. Yeah. And then we get to learn through their experience. Yes. Yes. That bi-directional learning. That's very powerful. You know, it's, um, it's uh, what has surprised me about that is how other kids in, in our life, Rosie's friends, when I allow them that, you know, when I, I do that with them, I, okay, what, how do you want to do this? You know, what's your idea on this? What ends up happening is they want to be with me and they want to help me. It's incredible. Like just a little bit of that, like re- that respect. Yeah. Kids like kind of fall in love with you. Yeah. Because they, they, they don't get that a lot. In, yeah. in their lives. Well, let's talk about that because you use two different words. You use respect and you use acceptance. My mom accepted yeah. my kebab, but you didn't praise. Yeah. And I thought this was another massive eye-opener in the book where you write, I never, you're traveling around the world. Now, so I have not traveled around the world, so I haven't seen these different things. You only know what everyone else is doing around you. You say, I never hear a parent praise a child. And I definitely never hear lavish praise. What is going on with this? Because I, I mean, even just yesterday, what something happened. I think my daughter who is 10, she put googly eyes on a carrot and then she was making it talk. And I was like, good job. And then I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what am I doing here? That's so but great. it's what we do. Yeah, it's how we've been trained. It's like a knee-jerk reaction. Yes. And we're kind of taught that if we don't do it, we're going to like hurt them somehow. That's what I thought, you know, but it's praise is this very new, new thing. Like 1970s, 80s is when it became like all the rage. So my mom was taught like you have to praise. Um, My my grandpa didn't do that. So that's, that's how new it is. It's not a proven. And it's, I I say in the book, like, it's true. It's a tricky beast Mm -hmm. because it can motivate a child in certain situations. If it's the right amount, if it's the right way. If the child feels like it's warranted, but it can also demotivate a child. It demotivates me a lot. Mm. And the other thing it can do is it can cause competition. And I even see this at NPR. When reporters are praised, the other ones get jealous and there's like fighting and like, it's really fascinating. And that's what it can do, especially with siblings. It can cause this like competition for praise and children doing things just for the praise too. So it's, it's a hard one. And I think, I think the thing is, it's just unnecessary. You just don't have to do it. Like I'd rather, when I read the literature on praise, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to do this right. And so it's just not needed. And there's way more effective means of motivating a child than praise. Um, I mean, you talked about them. Just accept the kebab. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. 
A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com outside for 15% off your first order. Yeah, accepting their contribution. Yes, I think that almost it, it maybe to them feels childish or dis, not genuine. I mean, it happened. I just the other day, I had our our daughter, the same one with the carrot, mm-hmm. and she she's got good style. She always dresses cute. She's got way better style than I do. In fact, I'm always asking her about the clothes. And so we were in the kitchen, and I said, I just said, I was like, you've got such good style. You know, you always have these outfits, and then all the other kids were like, "But what about my outfit?" (laughs) (laughs) I was like, "I just read about this." You know, that's interesting. That's interesting because you know, I think it's also about having genuine emotion towards a child. Genuine, like Mm -hmm. that's a gen. Like when you said that, it felt very genuine. Like you've got like, you know, so maybe that's something you say to her just with her, (laughs) you know, like yeah, or like or like you said, like. Just like having asking for her help mm-hmm. is acknowledging and giving, telling her like, wow, my mom really loves my style. You know, like mm-hmm. I tell parents, it really is about a genuine emotion. And, you know, it's there's other ways to connect, like the googly eye thing. Like, I would love that. That would be so fun, you know, and mm-hmm. the thing like, good job. It's like, oh, that's so funny. You know, like just it's about, I don't know, using that moment to do something beyond praise. Right. Yeah. Connecting, teaching, teaching, like, like sometimes when Rosie is really helpful, that was helpful, you know, like just acknowledging what she did versus good job. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a fascinating topic. And I think I tell parents, you know, don't worry so much about it, but there are negative consequences of it. And I just get tired of it, (laughs) of doing it, you know? Yeah. It makes you step back and think. Yeah, for sure. 
And there's a lot in here about teaching your kids to think. And yes, huge. I really do love the wording. You have so many examples. And also, it helps you to think, maybe it's okay if I say, you need to try harder. Yes. <laughs> I mean, these are the things I think as American parents, we don't even go there. And it's in the book. And you're like, well, if this is what parents are telling their kids around the world, it's probably okay for me to say to my child, you need to try harder. But a lot of the things you phrase as a question, yes. you know, like with the natural consequences or what am I, your trash can? <laughs> <laughs> That's what Sally said. Am I a trash can? I mean, yeah, the whole idea is like, and this, this is so huge. And now I'm actually trying to teach Rosie to get her friends to think. I'm like, get them to think about what they're saying to you. Instead of you telling them what to do, which can create huge resistance and arguments and nobody likes to be told what to do. You know, mm-hmm. I don't like it. Get them to think about what they're doing and the consequences of that. So that can be, you tell them the consequences, you're going to fall off that wall and hurt yourself. Just that. Instead of like, get down off the wall, right? Or do you think it's safe to be up on that wall? You know, or like recently, one of Rosie's friends is saying these very hurtful things. And I said, can you say to her, you know, do, do, do you not like me? Hmm. You know, because this is one of the things I would say to Rosie when she hit me, you know, as a little kid, do you not like me? And she would say, no, mama, I, lo- I love you. Okay. But, but then, you know, you're hitting me and that hurts me. She didn't even realize you know, that like hitting me was hurting me and irrational, illogical creatures that don't know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. And it was like, I, instead of yelling at her, stop hitting me. It was like, I got her to think about it. Do you like me? Well, this is so interesting because I love that story, Michaeline, because what's happening is not only are you changing the tone in your home, you are also giving them tools yes. for how they can deal with someone else when they're seven years old. That is incredible. This is new. This is new. Like It was a couple of weeks ago and I was like, okay, clearly these kids don't, this, this kid's nine, but she clearly doesn't know what she's doing, like how much she's hurting her friends. And so... I told Rosie, I said, you got to get her to think. Wow. <laughs> but it, this is the essence of self-regulation, right? Is, mm-hmm. is pausing for a moment and thinking about what you're doing. Yeah. You know, getting those like higher level brain functions firing. Wow. Um, I'm writing a book right now about your brain when you're on computers. Yay! <laughs> when, when is this coming out? Oh my God. And no, it'll be a little while. It'll be a little, like two years. But um, Wow. But this is a big part of it is like these devices make us kind of robots where we just do these things. And and a big part of it is trying to get those higher level functions firing. And that's what this part of the book, Hunk Gather Parent, is about, is getting the kid to not just act automatically because they're kind of in a habit of doing it, but getting them to think. So questions, Mm -hmm. consequence puzzles. Yes. The, you know, in my trash can, you know, when the, when the child hands you the trash, I still use this one. It happened like a couple of days ago, she handed me some trash and I was like, Like, (laughs) these are funny. What am I your donkey? (laughs) (laughs) And there's one thing here that truthfully, it would have given me pause. Do whiny babies get to go to Trader Joe's? But it's making them stop and think, am I whining too much? Am I a baby too? (laughs) Yes. Practical ones. If you don't watch your lunchbox, you're going to have to eat from a stinky lunchbox tomorrow. Is that what you want to do? You say in here, right at the very beginning, parenting is a learned skill. And this book is filled with skills that you can learn. 
just to reframe it in a different way. How easy is it to just swap your words around and say it differently? So I love these. What am I your donkey? <laughs> these are fantastic. You know, you brought up something I, I, I want to also, because some people will say it's like, and this has been documented. We are very afraid to be negative with children. Yeah. Right. This idea that like to point out that maybe they're doing something wrong or that it's something that like, we're very afraid of this idea of shame. And, and I think too, kind of we've gone too far because there are things that are negative. Children do do wrong things. And if we ignore them, we're not helping them grow. Yeah. You know, and I think taking out some of the judgment of it and the severity of it really helps. So it's like just factual, like, you know, babies screaming, babies can't go grocery shopping because there's, you know, like that are like, you know, it's like, it's just much more factual. I like this one. Too loud, you'll wake up grandma. Yes, exactly. There you go. There you go. Right? You're, being, you're, you're screaming. You're being too loud. You're going to wake up grandma. None of this, like, you're a horrible child and you're screaming. No, it's just yeah. in this moment. Exactly. And I think there's a lot less emotion to both sides, to the positive and the negative. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just facts. Yeah. And children, I think, respond really well to this because it's clear. Yeah. Versus if we put all this emotion in it, I think then it becomes this like, like the child's like, what, why is this so important? Right. You know, like right. good or bad. Right. And you're trusting them that they care about yes. grandma. Yes. yes. I think that says a lot. If you exactly. say to them too loud, you'll wake up grandma. It's like, Hey, I know you care about grandma and I know that you're old enough to understand that. So it really conveys a lot. My favorite sentence in the book, and we'll maybe wrap up here. And my favorite sentence, this book is fantastic. Like I told you, I underlined the whole thing. I knew immediately, I started reading it from page one and I was my, I immediately was like, oh, this is why everyone has been messaging me to see if I could get you on the podcast right away. It's a phenomenal read. I mean, it's an every parent read. Like I read a lot of books and you get something out of everyone's book, but not every book is like every parent should read this one. And this is one of those. So Hunt, Gather, Parent, my favorite sentence (laughs) someone says to you, your daughter must be sick of you. This is why she is misbehaving. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's very right. At this point of, you know, you do talk about this point of, and it's it's a lot more work here than it would be in other cultures, but we really are not meant to be like all stuck together with just us in the house all the time without any support. Yes. Yes. This is huge. This idea that like human children evolved and are act in ways and what they need is, is, is really like four, three to five caregivers, like their mm-hmm. parents. And we yeah. American parents are doing the task of those four or five people. Sometimes one of them, mm-hmm. you know, especially with jobs, it's all turned out to be one. We are given this massive task to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And like you said, very little support, very little knowledge because we've lost the teachers, our the older generations, they're not there helping us. And a lot of them don't want to help us. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard. My heart goes out to every parent yeah. in America. Like we just, if you take anything away, it's just taking, take away the knowledge that like you are doing a Herculean task. Sure. And and the kids sure. are going to be great and the kids are going to be okay because kids, I mean, human kids are also incredibly resilient and yeah. they just really need love, love and a job, a purpose. 
Practically speaking, the book reminds you that if you can find a small community, and this is how we yes. parented, this is how I parented with young children, was that there was four or five other moms mm. that I would spend time with, with our kids, with a little bit of an age range. And that really, really, really helped. Huge. And you say here, the mother is rarely, in other cultures, The this is such a big statement. It almost, it really makes me tear up. The mother is rarely alone when her baby cries. Wow. Like, what if that were the situation? What if when your baby cries, you're not alone? Yeah. And I think in America, you're almost always alone when your baby cries. Yeah. It says, yeah. dealing with a fussy baby is a group effort. And so, you know, this is not, there's no pat answer here, but it's just an awareness of community. And if in whatever ways that you can find that, like, so I'm going to give an example. Our oldest was really fussy and he hardly slept. And my husband worked long hours. So similar to your story. And it's like a 10 hour day, right? Yeah. And one day we were sitting in our front and we kind of lived in an area that wasn't very wealthy. And actually there's a lot of kids running around, I think, because yes. kind of because of that, which was actually kind of great. And we were sitting in the front yard and he was in one of those exercisers. I think he was maybe six months or something. And these elementary school kids came, they're walking around the block and they came up to him and they just started making faces and doing funny things. And he loved it, Michaeline. And so I paid them $5 if they would just stand there and play, make faces at him wow. while he was in the exercise for 30 minutes so that I could start dinner. Oh. And it was life changing. And you talk about this, I don't even know how you pronounce it, alloparenting. Yes. Can you find a, a, a sort of a mother's helper or can you find a child that's four or five years older, yes. even two or three years older that can come and play with yours and take the pressure off? It just reminds you that it's necessary. Yes. Well, your book reminds you, necessary is probably the wrong word. It's not necessary, but it's, it's very helpful and it would be life-changing. That's a beautiful story. I love that story for so many reasons. And it also shows you how an aloe parent, it doesn't have to be this like full-time nanny or this person that's super knowledgeable. Yeah. Kids are amazing at it. And you're there. So you could, you know, it can be a young child and like mm -hmm. huge. I think we undervalue children's role, this role for children, the aloe yeah. parent. And not only is it helping you and your baby, but that kid has a purpose. You're yes. giving that kid a purpose and a job. And that makes them feel good. They need that too. Yeah. I love that. I might have to ask you to use that story in a story <laughs> because that's so, it's so great. I love it. And you don't, I, people say you need a village. And I have always said, you don't need a village. You need mm -hmm. like one or two other families. Yes. Yes. And really the most important part of the village sometimes are those other little kids. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's not even necessarily the other adults. It's the fact that, yeah. hey, there's an 11 year old that wants to play with my six year old Perfect. and that's life changing. And we have had yes. that happen in our lives so many times where other people, because they're not sick of kids yet. They really like because they don't have their own. No. And they know they don't get tired of playing with them either, you know, or it takes a lot more. Yeah, they have energy. I know you're yes. right. Like they just learn the things. They're such good yes. teachers because they were just right there. So I cannot tell you how life-changing this book was for me and very interesting read. I loved every bit of it from beginning to end. There's so much more than we even talked about. Hunt, Gather, Parent. I recommend every parent, every teacher to read it. Give it at baby showers. This is the book that parents need to read before they have the baby, when they have time. That's when you want to read this one so that you can have, you say we that statement right at the beginning, parenting is a learned skill. So you can learn it here. 
And people can find you at michaelineducleff.com, huntgatherparent.com, foodie science. And we always end with the same question. What's a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside? Oh, working in the garden with my grandpa. Aww. I loved it. Not every Sunday, but most Sundays. And you know, I have to say I was bored a lot. And I remember being bored, but mm-hmm. I still loved it. <laughs> I remember like wanting to go in and watch TV, but then just being like, no. That had a profound effect upon me because now I garden all the time. Wow. And that yeah. draw toward relationship. Yes. That even if it's more boring, you want to be with the person that you love and that cares about you. Yeah. And outside. Yes. And outside. Uh, what a phenomenal book. Thank you so much for your time. And truly, I cannot wait to read your new one. So I really Aww. hope I really hope you keep I'll keep in touch with you okay. and, <laughs> so that thank I'll know when so it comes much. out. Thank you for being here and thank you for your time. You too. Okay. Bye. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking